Welcome back, everyone. My name is Nick Lundberg, and this is the Sports Roundtable, your end-of-the-week sports update on all things Michigan State. We're live here from Impact with Joe Dez, back for third or fourth show this year. Joe, it's good to have you back. Yeah, I'm excited to be back. It's been great every single time I've been on here. It sounds good. Sounds good. So we're going to jump right into everything that's going on. We've got basketballs in full swing right now. Um, let's start out with the men's. As last time out, they took a tough loss to Northwestern um, at home after you know, getting beat pretty badly on the road at Notre Dame. Um, a lot of people are kind of losing their faith, which is what happens with this team, you know, the ups and downs of the season. But um, an early loss to Northwestern at home doesn't look the best, especially when you're down uh, Malik Hall. But you, they just got back Jay Nakins. It kind of looked like he wasn't really in full swing. He's been battling with that injury since the off season. The I believe it's the stress fracture in his foot. And he was kind of off his game, so kind of bringing him back as an excuse to like say that the loss was on the whole team itself is kind of he's still getting back really into things. Boo Booey's a known Spartan killer. He's been doing this for 3 years. He kind of took over late in the game. The energy wasn't where I'm sure a lot of people expected it to be especially after a blowout loss to Notre Dame. Players didn't really step up. Tyson Walker got into foul trouble. AJ Hogard tried at the end to kind of will us back into the game, but it didn't really work. The refs weren't, you know, that good. There were a lot of touchy fouls on both sides and then some missed calls on both sides too more so, and in my opinion more so on the MSU side they missed a couple couple of calls late at the game but um Joe I'm just curious as to what you thought of the game um and what 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 are your thoughts on it yeah I agree with you about the refs because I was at the game the whole first three quarters I'd say they're kind of calling fouls that would be like maybe less physical than you'd expect but they're obviously calling fair on each side and at the end they kind of let them go wild and that led to some missed calls unfortunately but the big thing about this loss, I think coming in after the Notre Dame game, is that they realized that they were still human and they could actually lose. When we were coming off the win versus Kentucky, we felt like we were invincible. Came into every game with just a certain fire in us. Yep. Kind of kicked out of us after the Alabama and Notre Dame losses. But I also have to say, losing uh, Malik Hall has been massive for this team. They need him back. I saw a quote from the Lansing State Journal where Tom Izzo was talking, and he basically said that uh, Malik Hall, he told this week they didn't fully appreciate him as a player until he wasn't available to play. And that really shows when a coach like Tom Izzo is really missing a player that much, they're needed in this team. And as you mentioned, Boo Booey, he had 20 points in this game. That backcourt combined for 46 points with uh, Chase Ottage and Ty Barry, I believe is how you pronounce all their names. But basically, they all combined for 46 points, which was a massive amount of the points in this game. And even from the first jump, it looked like MSU wasn't in the right mindset that game. I was sitting there, and I, even from the beginning, I was thinking, like, wow, we usually start off on fire in these games. Why are we kind of going neck and neck with Northwestern when they're unranked and we were currently ranked at the time? And obviously, at the end of the game, you see why we were going head-to-head with them because they ended up beating us. Yeah, no, I was going to mention the fact that Northwestern was making shots. Like, Chase Audige, Ty Berry were hitting their threes. One player who has struggled with defense who I've noticed this year is Pierre Brooks. And I feel like Izzo, at times especially there was a, there was a point in the game where it was I believe it was 12 minutes left we were down by about 7 and he puts Pierre in and Pierre gives up a bucket which I mean this year he's still he he's shown a lot of growth from last year but the defense still really isn't there up to Big 10 standards and then he puts in he had a very odd lineup he had I believe it was Walker was in foul trouble but he had Hogard um Akins who was off the entire game which is understandable Wittens when you're down seven late in the game, or not late, but midway through the second half, I, I don't think putting in Jason Wittens is really the smartest idea. 
because I think he ended up traveling on a fake three-point attempt and then taking a couple extra steps and then immediately got subbed out. But um, he's really not the guy I think you should be putting in that situation. And then you have Joey Hauser and Jackson Kohler, obviously, to give Mahdi a break. Who He played a lot of minutes. But, I mean, just some of the rotations near the end of the game, a lot of it seems sloppy. I just overall, I, like you were saying about Malik Hall, I heard a really good comparison for him a few days ago, and it was they were talking about he's kind of like a Gary Harris-type player. He's kind of a glue guy. He's not an all-star all-star, but he does everything right and he makes plays when he needs to make plays. And I was going to say that it was evident MSU was lacking a go-to guy at the end of the game this year, or this this past game. I mean, we've seen Tyson Walker step up in the past, like, against Kentucky. Um, and you've seen other guys hit shots like Joey Hauser. Um, I mean, Joey missed the potential go-ahead shot in that one. But I feel like Malik Hall has got to be that guy this year that you can step up say, okay, give me the ball. I'm going to get you a bucket late in the game. He has that, you know, that I really like that post fadeaway he, move he has. He can take people off the dribble. He can shoot the three when he's open. His jumper isn't the quickest, so, I mean, it's kind of hard for him to get open from three and have a good look at it, but when he's open, he makes it. And, I mean, I, I just feel like for this team, Tyson Walker's kind of too small to be able to, for, like, to create something at the end of the game. Like, I don't really trust a 6'1 guard going up against, like, a 6'4 guard to try and create open space. Um, it's just purely I, – I really like Tyson Walker's game, but I, I don't think that is kind of reliable in that sense. But, but when you have Malik Hall out there, he kind of just – he's that extra body. He goes and gets rebounds. Um, he plays hard. He play, makes right plays. He knows the offense. He, he's the captain out there. So, I mean, ha- not having him is really big. And especially for this upcoming stretch, you've got um, some of these games which should be pretty winnable without him, and then you go back into Big Ten play. So we're going to – the team is really going to need him back for Big Ten play because he really is that kind of glue guy. And I, I really – when I saw that Gary Harris comparison, I was like, wow, that, that is very spot on. Yeah, no, the Gary Harris comparison is actually great for that because one thing that they're missing is his experience. The fact that he can play multiple positions just like Gary Harris can be like small forward shooting guard, multiple positions obviously. And his scoring, he is just a great player in the clutch. He obviously likes to take the big shot, and they are really missing that right now. You were mentioning Aikens obviously – coming back from injury after stress fracture in the uh, Villanova game, I believe is what happened. It was that that came too. It was very fun to see. But then, unfortunately, obviously, I hurt. But while he couldn't really bring on offense, he did have the same defensive intensity as he usually has. He had two steals and a block. Unfortunately, conditioning is where it really got him, I think. When your foot is injured, you can't run. You can't really practice. Keeping up wind sprints and stuff like that, that's going to take a little bit of time to come back. One player I've really liked to watch is Jackson Kohler. He's been u- utilizing the minutes. He doesn't really get that that many in this game, or really most games of the season so far. It's, he's still a freshman, still really early in the year. When he gets on the floor, though, I really like how he plays. Very strong on offense. Then he tries for rebounds, too. He isn't the best rebounder right now, but he at least puts the effort in, which shows that he will make improvement there. Then Sissoko is... I love watching Sissoko play, to be honest. I'm He's a big, like a football player. Oh, right? Yeah. I'm a massive Celtics fan. He reminds me a little bit of Robert Williams sometimes. That's a good, yeah, I like that comparison. Yeah, his blocks, like he'll send it flying in the crowd. It's never just a slight, like, soft block. He sends it flying out of there. And then he uh, is great at alley-oops. Like, he'll come up, catch the lob, and throw it down. Yeah, that dunk near the end of the game against Northwestern, I jumped out of my seat. I was like, wow, that was that's a man. That was a grown man dunk. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I feel like you could hear the entire state, or yeah, entire stadium just freaking out after that. We thought we were winning after that Sissoko dunk. He was aggressive there. Yeah, but I mean, at that point, 
hopes were high, but it kind of just didn't go the way it sh- it really should have gone. But from what I've seen, I mean, the defense, another thing I noticed in that game was the pick and roll defense was very, was atrocious. Matt Nicholson was getting wide open looks at the basket. And this has been the issue. This has been the huge talking point all season long. I know we've talked about it is the lack of depth, lack of size. I mean, Mahdi can't play 40 minutes. Like, and he honestly, like, even when he was out there, he was hedging some of those screens way, in my opinion, way too rough. And that would that was leading to wide open buckets down low, um, which wasn't a good sight to see. But I, some of these guys, I I just don't think like I like what I've seen from Kohler, but he's just not there yet defensively for the Big Ten. Um, I his work ethic is great. His post game, obviously, he's shown flashes of being a very just a automatic post score, kind of like a Zach Randolph type player. I think Izzo has compared him to that, um, which it's that makes a lot of sense. But he's just not quick enough yet. He's not strong enough. I mean, Carson Cooper was supposed to be redshirted this year, and he's been getting a lot of minutes. Um, he's and when he's out there, he every now and then he'll make some plays. But again, it. it it looks like he's really not ready for the moment yet, which honestly, which is very understandable because, I mean, these guys weren't expected to be playing these type of minutes, and here they are out there coming in with five minutes into the game when people get into foul trouble. And it's just it, – that's another thing with Malik Hall. It's like he goes and gets rebounds, and that's one thing this team needs. This team needs somebody to crash the glass like Malik Hall does, especially when Mahdi isn't on the floor. Um, because we know Joey's kind of a more perimeter player. He doesn't really play in, inside, which is more his forte. But that's another big thing with Malik Hall, why, why we, the team needs him back. And this stretch should be the stretch coming up before we jump back into Big Ten play before the new year will be, you know, just kind of crucial for Akins to kind of get his footing back. Um, hopefully he can stay consistently healthy. Um, like you said, his defense, he's always – on 100 on the defensive end like his energy is never lacking but you could just tell offensively he was just not really in the groove um putting up shots he just late like he would oftentimes end up with the ball late in the shot clock and just have to heave a really long three that just you know had no chance of going in but that's not really his fault but then other times like he just wasn't really asserting himself in the offense like we had seen in the Villanova game and um, some of the other games this season. So, I mean, it's just going to take some time for him to kind of get back in and adjusted. But honestly, it's not this this loss. The stretch is not the end of the world. It's still the team's definitely gassed from that that stretch where they played ranked team after ranked team after ranked team. We called it the gauntlet. Um, so, I mean, obviously for people out there, it's not the end of the world. There's still a lot of basketball left to play. And I, I do like where this team's going. And I like the fact that early in the season they showed me they can beat those type of really blue blood good teams like Kentucky, um, which is something I wasn't sure of coming into the season. But if this team can get hot later in the year, and we know Izzo knows how to get the best out of his players in March, could be some good things coming. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, no, I definitely think that this stretch, one thing you obviously have to realize, Akins was kind of towing the line of playing just like he did before when he obviously knows he can't play like that right now when he's still working his way back there. But he's also trying to make sure he doesn't take away from other people's opportunities. Pretty sure he ended up with about eight assists, which is very good playmaking, obviously. But he is going to need to get that conditioning back to be right on the offensive end. And one massive thing that we haven't really talked to too much about, you mentioned that Joey Hauser is a perimeter player. 
when his shot starts falling again, this team is completely different. It's a difference maker, yep. Yeah, in the Northwestern game, it wasn't falling for some reason. He had a couple open looks. There's a lot of really tight defenses with the big thing. I think that was the reason why. Just hand in the face almost every shot. Once the ball movement gets back, once the shot starts falling, this team can beat anyone. People don't realize Gonzaga was a one-point loss. That is insanely close for was usually a top five program. And Joey only had three points on like 0 for 7 shooting. So, I mean, then he credited that to the kind of the outside, the wind and all that, because we know it was on the aircraft carrier. But yeah, when they were, and I noticed they were coming off screens super tight, especially on Joey playing him, because they knew that's his bread and butter is the pick and pop um, off pin down screens and stuff like that. But yeah, they were in his face the whole time. He couldn't really get a rhythm going. And that was another thing I noticed that it just no. Northwestern did a good job of disrupting our offensive rhythm, but our energy at the same time wasn't where it should have been. So there are a couple different things that the the team needs to work on, but it's still a young season, and I'm sure this stretch will kind of give them a little bit of a break to kind of just get back into the flow of winning and things like that. Oh, yeah, I'm still really excited for March. going to be a very fun March Madness this year. So the other team that plays on the Breslin, uh, the women's team, has been in kind of a tough stretch recently as well. The last time out, they lost to Purdue in overtime. All of these games, I talked about their PKI tournament uh, last week, and the Iowa State game was a blowout. I, they didn't have Matilda Eck, arguably their best player, their best shooter, at least. They lost by 30. Iowa State's also a powerhouse, so, I mean, it kind of, there is just different tiers of teams that were on the court that day. But And then you've got the Oregon loss, where they actually were down around, I think it was 17 at one point, and then they came back to tie it, but they just couldn't get it done. Georgia Tech, they were in it. Now, those teams are where, like, you can really tell, like, you got to beat Georgia Tech to kind of move up a tier because they're kind of in the same level of skill, I would say. Um, but they kind they faltered against Georgia Tech late. Um, they had a couple good looks to win the game, but nothing was falling. And then you come out against a Purdue team that had won most of their games in the that's in this season. They had pretty good, you know, players up and down the roster. And you go down fourteen into the fourth quarter, and then you mount another comeback to send it to overtime. But you just again, they just couldn't get it done in that last five minutes. Um, so it's just been a tough stretch for them as of late. They've kind of got to do some. It's kind of like the men's team where. They, were, they like to run this three-guard lineup with uh, McDaniel, Elliott, and Hageman. And Hageman and Elliott, at least up until the fourth quarter for Elliott, they hadn't, haven't really been you know, making their marks on the game, which, which they need to in order for this team to win. Because when you're point guard like Dee Dee Hageman against Purdue, I don't think she made a single shot. And when your point guard isn't, can't, like, can't afford to get you a bucket, it's very hard to win games in the Big Ten when that's the case. But, I mean, Kamari McDaniel's been very good this season. Gabby Elliott showed something late against Purdue. And, I mean, MSU, they're undersized. They actually started isolating Alexander over Tyra Parks, which was interesting at Purdue. But Tyra Parks ended up coming in and, you know, doing some good things off the bench. I think she had five steals, which is pretty impressive for a big. Yeah. But, I mean, Purdue, they were they were over, you know, they had more size than MSU. And Merchant talked, Susie Merchant, the head coach, talked about how they kind of need that energy that they had in the last in the fourth quarter throughout the entire game and I've seen that like covering them I've seen those stretches where they kind of stall out so is something there with this women's team but they've got to kind of put something together to really show me that they're capable of doing that and I mean it's still like 
like that men's season. It's still a very long season, and there's a lot of time to prove that. But um, people shouldn't freak out over the skit either because especially I really uh, – the Oregon game where um, Oregon had some very good players, and they came – and they, they stormed back. They almost took it, but they, they just weren't – it just wasn't enough against them. But Oregon is a very good team, and I was very impressed by that performance. But um, there's still a long way to go, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I definitely think the team's in a bit of a cold stretch right now. But one thing you got to think about, D.D. Hageman, one of the first games of the season against Western Michigan University. She went 4-4 four for four from three-point land. Also, obviously, uh, Maddie, or Matilda Eck, I mean, she is out, as you said. She's a massive player for this team, is deadly from behind the arc, does a lot for this team in the scoring-wise. And when you look at the negative games like this, when they're missing a few players where that player might take them over the edge and actually win that game, you got to look at the bright spots, even though they lost. While they did lose, you mentioned the fourth quarter run. They went 12-0. and That shows their resiliency. When they can come back in a game like that, maybe if they had Matilda Eck, they would have went 14-0 and and end up winning that, not even going to overtime. But then also, against Purdue, they forced a season-high 30 turnovers. That is a great turnover rate to force against such a good team. If they can keep putting stuff together like this, they're going to be able to start winning again. Yeah. Gabby Elliott ended up tying her career high in rebounds. She had seven that game. Showing obviously she wants to help the team any way that she can. Unfortunately, weren't able to win. But this team, when they click, when they're healthy, and when they're hot, they are going to win some games. Yeah, I have no doubt about that. But yeah, forcing the thirty turnovers was very glaring, and then to still lose the game is that's it, that's showing. But they also were out rebounded fifty to thirty. But Merchant really didn't uh, put much stock in that stat. She said even though there were a couple offensive rebounds in overtime that really just really killed the team. One of the Purdue players had an and one after the uh, offensive rebound, and that kind of just put the game away for them. So, I mean, yeah, it just depends on, I mean, Matilda X shot has got to be falling for in order for this team to beat some good teams. Um, I want to see more out of Hageman going forward, and, and Elliott, I want to see the fourth quarter Purdue Elliott compared to the rest of the other quarters in the rest of these games. So it's still a long season. We've got you know, the Big Ten stretch coming up. They've got Ohio State uh, Sunday at four, top three team in the country. So that's going to be going on the road against a top three opponent is never easy. So um, we'll kind of see if they can pull out a win in that one. That'll be, you know, that that should, you know, bring bring the spirits back up. Yeah, that'll season. change the narrative completely if they can win against a top three program. And one thing before we move on, I wanted to mention Kamari McDaniel. She has been amazing lately. She's a bucket. Yeah, three straight games, 20-plus points. She had 22 points in the Purdue game, 39 minutes because it went to overtime. She is the catalyst of this team. She is going off right now. Yeah, she's she's taking over that kind of Nia Cloudon role that the team has missed from last year. And that's one. That's that was another big question coming into the season. Who's going to be the person to step up and you know take over in moments when you need her to take over? And she has definitely shown that this year. Even though <clears throat> these games haven't resulted in wins, um, it's still nice to see a player kind of take things into her own hands and be able to kind of carry a team when they need a leader like that. So um, McDaniel, I think going forward, she is the the go-to guy. Yeah, 100%. Got a lot of respect for her after these last couple of games. Yeah. But moving on to hockey, who's actually been doing very, very well this season, continuing their hot streak. After being swept by Minnesota, they moved up a spot, which is very <laughs> odd, but Looking at the rest of the rankings, you can tell like teams ahead of them lost, and you know you know how that goes. But we all know how that goes. I mean, the games against Minnesota, it's like I said, there's tier levels in college sports. You've got like the S tier teams, 
in basketball and the other sports, and then you've got A, B, C. I you've got Minnesota, who's always been a powerhouse. They're definitely an S tier team. Like this team is just they're they're t- they're good. I mean, we watched Miracle in um my t- my one of my classes with L A Dickerson to cap off the year, and it reminded me of like Minnesota's like the Soviets, and then you've got MSU, which is like the U.S. team kind of. It kind of because. They're just a powerhouse. They've got so many good players, so many future NHL draft picks, and MSU's still kind of building that kind of. They're they're going. I believe Nightingale could can bring them to that level, and they've been playing very well this season with players like we talked about that really aren't his yet, um, not his recruits. So I mean, it's it's very impressive to see him win without his players, but that's another thing. But once he starts bringing in that kind of talent. I really think they can start to match teams like Minnesota, but they did put up a good fight, and they did some good things in that first game, even though they got, I believe it was like 5-0 was the score. And then the second game, they actually got some goals on the board, which is probably good, which is a good sign. And even though they lost both, I think that this was a really good opportunity for them to see where they need to get if they really want to, you know, go far in the Big Ten and in the, you know, the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, I, I really think I have a lot of hope in this team, and I think talent-wise, I, I just don't see them being there yet. But I think now that they know what's going on um, with, like, the teams that are, you know, in a different tier level than them, um, they can make a run at some of these, like, games down the stretch where it's like, okay, we, we know how these, guys, how these guys play. We know how to – we've seen them before. Now we can go out there and actually beat them, so – no, I, I've got to repeat exactly what you just said. Once they got their feet wet playing top competition like this, they're going to be able to come in next game actually prepared for this. They hadn't played Minnesota yet this season, I believe at least, and when that happens, you're not really ready for that level of competition, but now they have it, and now they know what has happened and what can happen. Next game is going to be one that decides everything for them. And one thing I want to point out, obviously, is uh, Jeremy Davidson. He had two of three goals in that second game. He stepped through for his team, ended up coming up and actually playing most, I believe it was like two, yeah, two-thirds of the points on the board out of that entire series. And one thing I noticed that shocked me about this series, both the games, the entire set, there was no fouls or no penalties at all. Very clean game for both teams during that entire stretch. And we know Jagger Joshua is the king of the penalty box, so it's good <laughs> to see. And he's, I mean, Nightingale called him out earlier a couple weeks ago. He was like, and Jagger's a known penalty box player. Nightingale called him out on it. He actually benched him, and I believe it was the Miami series. But um, now it's it's been good to see him kind of stay out of there because the team needs him out there because he's definitely a difference maker. But they've got big big rivalry matchup coming up, a home and home against Michigan. Uh, they're I think they're leading them in the Big Ten standings right now after the Minnesota series. But they're ranked sixth in the country. They're probably just as good as Minnesota. Maybe not maybe not as good, but they're definitely close. Um, so it's going to be a very, very interesting series. Um, and, I mean, beating Michigan in anything is always, as a Spartan, it's always, it's always, a, it's always a great thing. So hopefully, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping for a sweep, but um, obviously that's not a guaranteed thing. So we'll see. I'm just, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they've got a new coach, too. They have been dealing with some illnesses this season. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely... These games are definitely winnable games, but it's nonetheless they know what this is about too. They they feel the rivalry, even though they might not want to admit it, but they they love to beat us. So I'm excited to see kind of you know the 
what the crowds are like and what uh, how the players kind of come out and you know give it to give it to the rivals. So that'll it'll be fun. Yeah, Michigan's definitely a very talented team. Obviously, near the top of the rankings, as you mentioned. Now that we have the experience against Minnesota, though, and the fact that's a rivalry game, that kind of can fully flip the script. That can mean that the ranking means nothing at that point. It's just two teams going against each other who have it all to lose at this point. They're kind of battling a little bit for ego at this point because it's Michigan versus Michigan State, Spartans versus Wolverines. This is going to be the rivalry to watch out for this week. Yep. And one last thing before time runs out, we want to talk a little bit of football. Last time out, we weren't sure whether they would get a bowl game or not, even though they finished 5-7. and seven. It all depended on what the other teams did in front of them. Um, and it turned out where they were not in a position for, to make a bowl game. But now it's kind of tr- everyone's favorite season for Mel Tucker. It's the transfer portal season. And you've got draft announcements, too. I mean, some, some names that have surprised me that have left are Broussard, Ronald Williams, some of these guys that could have stayed but instead decided to go to the draft. I mean, Bryce Berenger was obviously guaranteed the best punter in the country. Um, and some of these transfers like Jack Stone, the freshman kicker, who was on and off this season. And then you've got guys coming in like there was a top, I don't want to say his name wrong, but he's from transfer defensive tackle from Texas A&M who was ranked in the top 60 of his class and a top 10 defensive tackle um, who's taking a visit soon. And then among other guys like that. So that's always exciting to kind of bring in some of these guys, especially with a big thing this season we talked about was the lack of talent. Um, you've got kind of the end of Tuck, of D'Antonio's recruiting class out there with Tucker's beginning recruiting classes, which is the Zoom class, like three stars like we saw. And, I mean, the transfer portal uh, this season has kind of been a miss for a lot of parts. I mean, I wanted to see more out of Daniel Barker. Um, I wanted to see more out of Broussard, Berger, but – Berger will be around for another year, so that that it'll be good to watch him grow. But Broussard didn't really show me much. Um, there were some other guys out there that you know I thought could have been better, but this season just wasn't. It's just it's it, it's a thing. Young coaches in college football, these kinds of things happen. We've we've seen it with Dabo Sweeney. Jim Harbaugh was never. I mean, it's it took him seven years to figure out how to win a Big Ten championship. Um, so these th- kind of things take time, especially in the situation Tucker was put in. And obviously getting a guy like K-9 last year was just just everything for the team. Um, kind of sped up expectations a little bit. But it'll be interesting to see who they bring in this offseason and where some of these guys go in the draft. Like we were talking about before, Jane Reed's going to be, you know, in that fifth, sixth round kind of range. We might see some other guys get taken off the board. Behringer might get drafted as a punter. Um, so it's just – it's going to be – I, I always like – MSU football offseason, especially with the NIL and transfer portal now, it's it's fun. It's like every you you don't know what's gonna happen. So I'm I'm excited to see what what goes on. No, the transfer portal has hundred percent made it more fun, like you said. The NIL deals, it's kinda a lot more like actual professional leagues free agency now where there's a lot more movement in the league, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Like teams can actually adopt players from other teams now instead of them staying at the school for four years. Yep. And Behringer, I am so excited to see in the league. He's gonna be just awesome to watch. Some of his punts this year have been mind-blowing to see, pinning him inside the five-yard line. Doing that on NFL stage is going to bring his name just in the stars yeah, at this point. He's a field flipper, for yeah. sure. <laughs> no, 100%. And then Jaden Reed, as you were mentioning, I would be shocked if he goes before fourth round. Fifth to sixth is where you said, and that makes a lot of sense to me. He is going to thrive as a slot receiver, sometimes maybe at the Z wide receiver position, but also if they can run him in motion and they can use him as an actual kind of running back like they do Debo Samuel, let him play a little bit of punt return and kick return like he does now. 
he is going to be awesome in the NFL. I feel like he is best at multi-positional talent. If they try to stick him at outside wide receiver, just have him go deep every time, maybe he can make some catches. I don't think he's going to succeed there, though. Him at slot receiver, getting some motions where he runs the ball and then returns it, I think that that's going to be where he makes his name. Yeah, he definitely has big play potential in the NFL at certain spots, um, maybe more or less than others. But that's about all the time we have today. So thank you, Joe, for coming out. It's always a pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you, Nick. This was a great time. Yeah, and... Sadly, this is the last podcast of the year. Next year, we're going to be, we'll be back on the regular (laughs) Wednesday schedule, I believe, but got some bigger things coming. So, bigger things planned with state news and impact. So, stay tuned for all the exciting things going on. But I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening throughout the semester. It's been a fun time hosting. I'm excited to be back next year. And I hope you, everyone has a great Christmas, a great holidays, great New Year's, just great break, great relaxing break. And I'm sure you guys will be keeping up with all. MSU sports and I'll be right back after the new year's to you know catch everyone up on what what's been missed so thank you guys so much and have a great holiday and this has been another edition of sports roundtable peace out